theyeshiva.net. Well, to page uh, 38. Our just told us, page 38, the first column. The Balatanya, the Alter Rebbe, quoted the story of Gemara, Masechus Avodazora, Dafyid Chesam and Aleph. If you could just put your cell phones on vibrate or plain mode or off, we would appreciate it. The story of Masechus Avodazora, Dafyid Chesam and Aleph, relates, as we learned in, inside at length, that Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma was one of the great Tanoim, the Goyne, the Gdeli Hadar of that generation. Sometime after the second Esamiknish's destruction, fell ill, and his friend, his colleague, and his student, Rabbi Hanina ben Shadim, came to visit him. Rabbi ben Kisma chastised him, he rebuked him, he gave him Musa, he said, I heard that you're making public gatherings and teaching Torah. Don't you know that this nation, the Roman Empire, has been coronated by heaven? Meaning they are allowing her, they have given her power. Look what they have done to our people, to our best people, to the Beis HaMikdash. And Rabbi Yosef ben Kid and Rabbi you are completely defying their orders and their edicts. So he responded and he said, Min Heaven will have compassion for me. I'm speaking to you logic, and you're telling me they'll have compassion for me on heaven. I wonder, I would be surprised if your fate, they will not murder you, they will not take you and the Sefer and burn you. So says, If that happens, will I have a place in the world to come in Elam So Yosef ben Kisma responds to Reb Ben Tradin and says, Klu Maisa Baliyotcha, I don't know, tell me a story about your life and I'll tell you. If you're going to get Elam Haba, tell me a Psa Maisa. Maisa as a deed, a story, an action. Maisa means an action. Tell me a Psa story about your life. Something challenging, perhaps. He says, This is Maisa. Klu Maisa Baliyotcha, four words. So he says, Yeah, I have a Maisa. Somehow he understood what type of Maisa he wants. And the Maisa was that Ampurid, he got mixed up. Between there were two piles of money. One pile was for charity, and one pile was designated for his own use for the Purim expenses, for the Purim meal. By mistake, he thought that the pile of money that was dedicated for his own Purim expenses was designated for charity. In other words, he confused it with other pile of money. So he gave it away to poor people. The natural thing would have been to compensate himself from the other pile of money. You used your own money for tzedakah. You could use the tzedakah money for yourself. I did not do that. He gave everything away to the poor people. In other words, he gave extra tzedakah. When Rabbi Yosef and Kisma heard this Misa, the story, he says, Im Kain. He doesn't, he says, Im Kain. If, that, if this is the case, as we say in Yiddish, Im Kain, if so, I can only pray, I can only wish that your lot is my lot, and that your girdle, your fate is my fate. In other words, I can only wish to have a shear in your chilek, in your fate, in your in your lot, in your portion, in your girdle, in your fate. That was the end of the conversation. Rabbi Yosef ben Kisma passed away shortly after. Gedoyle Roymi, the great nobleman of Rome, came to escort him at his levaya. And on the way back, they found a Chanunah ben in teaching, and they burnt him and the Sefer Torah alive, and the executioner jumped into the fire, 
after removing the piles of wool on his chest, so he should die faster. He also jumped into the fire together with Reb Chanina, and was consumed by the flames as well. Over here, the Balatanya is focusing on the first half of the story. That apparently the entire exchange between Rabbi Yosef and Kishmael Chanin and Chadin is one of those very enigmatic, difficult, really bizarre exchanges. How it, how it can even take place. Because did Rabbi Chanin and Chadin really doubt if he's going to have a chalik in Elam if he's going to have a Elam Hapa? Chadin is one of the Asara Rugi Malchus. One of the ten people who were killed by Rome as, as the end of the story. But he wasn't just killed for Yiddishkeit. His whole life, he was considered one of the G'dayli Hadar, one of the greatest people of the generation, in terms of teaching Torah and mentoring students. His whole life was dedicated to this. Did he really think that when he dies, where is he going? If he doesn't go to Ganeiden, who was it paid for? Who's going to go there? Gemara has an expression, you're not allowing anybody else to live. Especially, not only his life, but his death. He's sacrificing himself completely for the sake of Torah and Mitzvahs to preserve Yiddishkeit. He wasn't teaching Torah to stop. He was teaching it under the pain of death because he realized that there will not be a future to it. So let's say Rabbi Yosef and Kisma disagreed with him. Did he really feel and wonder, am I going to have a chilek in Elam Haba when he's absolutely having Mesiris Nefesh al Kiddush Hashem, not only dying because he's a Jew, that itself is an Indian of Kiddush Hashem, but the question is, but not only dying because he's a Jew, dying because of his Mesiris Nefesh for Torah. Even greater the question is Rebbe Yisrael response. You would think Rebbe Yisrael would say, Avada? Rebbe Yisrael says, I don't know, it's a good question. <laughs> tell me about yourself. Let me up his head and let's hear who you are. Tell me about your biography. I'll tell you if you get a Lamaba. The fact that your whole life was dedicated to this goal and you died for it, no, not sure. Tell me about Maisa. So he says, I'll tell you about Maisa. It was Purim. And I gave away a couple of the money that was reserved for the fish and the wine and the mashka and the meat and the chalupzas. That money I gave away for the doctors. Ooh, now you're ready. Now you're ready in a different category. Now you convinced me. Now I'm ready for a chassid of yours. Mechel chalki. What type of response are So the Balatanya explains that this was a very subtle, very idle, a very refined conversation. Naturally, the conversation shouldn't have taken place between two regular people. But because of who Reb Chanina ben Chadin was, because of who Reb Yosef ben Kisma was, this was a conversation that was dealing with a much deeper state and a deeper challenge in Avodah Hashem, and he's introducing all of this to be able to give an example, an illustration of the role of Das when it comes to a person assessing himself or herself, where I stand in my life and where I stand in my service of Hashem and where I stand generally in my emotional, psychological and spiritual state. And what he, the way he explains it is that when Abchanin had a deep suffolk, he had a deep ambivalence, a doubt, about himself. Why? He knew who he was. And he also knew what his passion was. And he also knew how he dedicated his, what he dedicated his life. But as the Balatanya says, there are generally, there are so many different types of people. But he talks about two groups. The people that we call Mara Levena, the people that we call Mara Shechaira, which they used to associate with the bladder. Mara is the bladder, the gallbladder. 
the color of it, which has a unique influence on a person's disposition. And as he quotes here the Rambam in Shmaina Prak and Ches, the eighth chapter. The Rambam has a whole chapter about this. It's it's a huge long Perik. <laughs> it's Kitai to learn Shmaina Prakim of the Rambam, by the way. It's a very fundamental safe of the Rambam's Ashkafa, especially Perik Zayin and Perik Perik Vah, Perik Zayin, Perik Ches, all the Prakim. Perik Ches is a huge Perik, and the Rambam there criticizes very heavily those who to say that people don't have choices. In other words, everything they blame on how they were born, their nature, their chemical, what we would call today your chemical balance, your upbringing, whether nature or nurture, but you have no choices. Ultimately, you are who you were created to be, and that's who you have to remain forever. Or you are who you were nurtured to be, you were educated to be, and that's how you have to remain forever. He also criticizes there very heavily those who feel completely stuck by their astrological, by their astrological signs, the zodiac, and says that uh, people who say that this is who I am, and that's it, my fate is completely sealed, and there's nothing I can do about it. Or the expression of the Gemara and Shabbos, ain't mazel the Yisrael. You can't worship a mazel. This doesn't, however, mean that a person's challenges will not be different than another person's challenges. As he brings earlier there, that there are generally two types of people, the Rambam's words, ha-chosin ha and ha-koyvish ha-sitzreh, a chassid is somebody that by nature what you would call a good boy. <laughs> Just, you know, you have those children that you send off to school and you don't hear from the principal till the day of graduation. For 14 years you never get a telephone call. They're just easy. They're just, they're just, they're, they're chemistry, they're easy, they, uh, they're studious, they just like to do the right thing. And then you have Baruch Hashem, always that one child who keeps you up for a couple of years and there's a couple of decades. The Rambam calls him Akaivish Sitzri. He always has to conquer things. Life is a battle. Every one of them has free choice. None of them is a slave and says, since I was born with this and this challenge, therefore I have to live this and this life. No, I don't have to live in this life. But I do have to deal with these and these challenges. In other words, of course, your chemistry, your nature, and your nurture have tremendous influence on you. That will be the arena in which your prayer will take place. That will be your playing field. Mm-hmm. I cannot choose and change the house I grew up in or the school I grew up in or things that happened to me when I was two or three or four or five or six or seven or eight or nine. As people sitting here know very well, some things happen, and that becomes the facts, the circumstances of your life. But to say that those circumstances confine me to the point that I remain a victim to them and it's impossible for me to let go... That is antithetical to the entire understanding of the human person and the destiny of human life from a Jewish, from a Torah perspective. Elamai, the choice that I have is a choice within those set of circumstances. Just like I can't choose the color of my eyes, I can't choose the color of my soul, and I can't choose a lot of things about my life. Yaakov and Esau couldn't choose whether to gravitate to Avodah Zorah or to gravitate to Abish Madrash. Esav didn't have a choice. It was in the womb of his mother. Esav did have a choice what to do with it, how to see it. Every struggle could be seen as a license to surrender, or every struggle could be seen as, a, as, a, as an opportunity, as an obstacle which is not an obstacle but a challenge, and a challenge which is not a challenge but an opportunity, a springboard for greater growth, for more awareness. 
So yes, there may be a chess game set up. And this is the this is the setup that I'm dealing with. I was brought into the chess game in the middle of the game. Right? But that doesn't mean I have to lose or win. I'm destined to lose or win. It means I have to choose wisely how to deal with this chess game, even though I would have liked to have another setup. I don't have that setup. That's the Rambam is elaborates on this at length. Barich is as one of what he saw as one of the Yisaitis of Yiddish. But part of that is understanding that you have certain natures that will not easily go away. And they may never change. So on one hand, you have to know that's part of me. So you don't have to get frustrated and depressed every day. Sometimes people deal with the same struggles constantly. And it puts them into horrible moods and depressions. Why I have to deal with it? If you could somehow respect it, and even embrace it, know that this is my playing field. This is the marathon I have to run. This is what it looks like. My parking lot has bumps. It's not such a smooth parking lot. Maybe it will change in the next few days. But the parking lot has laugh bumps. About, laugh about it. Yes, and every time your car will go there, especially if it's a nice car, it's going to fall into a semi-ditch. So instead of getting angry every morning, it's like, let's get ready. Here goes the bump, right? Here goes the bump. When I was a yish, I was in camp as a 14-year-old, we were in an accident in the summer. It wasn't such a funny accident because it had a fatal result. But uh, the, the driver of the van, uh, he went onto a cliff. There was no fence, and he, he swerved because there was a truck coming. So he was down the cliff, and the, and the van was, make, was turning over. So one of the counselors in the front, <coughs> for everyone, he was calling it a hakafa as it was happening. Oops, here goes the next one, the next one, the next one. So uh, that actually wasn't so funny. But in life generally, when a person is confronted with different situations, I cannot change my nature. These are certain dispositions I have. I could work with them and within them. And what does it mean work with, with them and within them? To realize this is what I'm dealing with, this is... This is the reality, and this is a unique shlichus. This is my unique mission and opportunity. But I'm never a victim to it completely. These are the two, the two opposite ideas, and not opposite, but the two contrasting, the two polar ideas that the Rambam makes in Perik Ches of Shemayin, among many other ideas. As I said, it's a very long chapter. The Nekudah here is the two natures of Mara Levena and Mara Shechayra. Mara Shechayra, is what we call today a marashchayinik is somebody who's more. Um, I wouldn't say fabisin, but more uh, introverted, not so socially uh, animated. People who like to be to themselves, they don't get excited by the social scene. In fact, the social scene causes them a lot of pain. As we know, everybody here knows in your own life, there are Mara Levenas, there are Mara Shchaydas. Mara Levenas is the exact opposite. Happy people, party people, social people. They love crowds. The bigger the crowd, the better. The more noisy, the better. The more people you bump into, the more excited they become. For the Mara Shchayda, that's a death sentence. Every new person, he starts experiencing anxiety again. He comes home from the Chasana, from shul in three days, he has to take salt baths, or has to go to therapy, or has to deal with stuff in order to come back to himself. The Mara Levena is full of life, full of animation. He's an extrovert. He's out there. 
loves people, loves social life. Of course, there's people that have a mixture of both. But you see the contrast very clearly. The Marashkaida generally is a bookworm. Loves reading, loves studying, loves living within himself. He lives in his own mind, and it's sometimes a very rich mind. But such a person very often has a proclivity to more reflection. He thinks about things more. He thinks about things deeper. Therefore, sometimes has mood swings, gets into bad moods, is sometimes despondent on the downside, sometimes a little bit on the depressed side. That's called Mother Shechede, which they call the black gallbladder. Gallbladder, the gall. And the Mother Levain, the white one, who is in a very different disposition. So the Balatanya says, of that we see throughout history that there were many non-Jews who had delicacies, they had richness, they had wealth, and yet they abandoned them. They were not they abandoned, they weren't interested in them. Why? They loved wisdom, they loved science, or other chachmas, as he brings astronomy, or mathematics, or engineering, or philosophy, and they dedicated their lives day and night, they would sit and study and learn, and teach and write and think and reflect. This was their goal in life, this was their passion in life. What was it? It had to do simply with their disposition. Some people, they love reading, they love learning, they love growing intellectually, they're curious, they're inquisitive, and that's where they live. They live in that world. You could put them in a library for 50 years, and you give them the oxygen and the, the, the books and the oxygen they need, and they won't come out. Just like you have music prodigies. They could sit and play violin for 20 hours a day. You have chachma prodigies, science prodigies, or scholastic types of people who just love scholarship. This, somebody else may not understand it. But the whole seed of, of material pleasure doesn't speak much to them. What speaks to them is, And he says, what does this have to do? What this has to do with is their chemistry, their disposition. This is not something they chose. He says, then there's the opposite type of person. Person may be intelligent, person may be smart, but he can't sit for a sit still for a minute. He's just not interested. He can understand, he can comprehend. But he literally, as he puts it, he can't still sit for he can't sit still. He, even rega achas, even one moment he can't be still. Why? It's hard for him, he says, to be mitzatzen, to restrict his machshava and focus on one thing. We say he's all over the place. His mind is all over the place. His soul is all over the place. He pushed it, can't even sit still. Anybody who ever taught in the classroom, even a few days, knows this. And you know how you were in the classroom. Huh? Yeah, whatever the name is, whatever the name is. And he says it doesn't mean sometimes the person say the person is stupid. He says, no, sometimes the person is smarter. That's what we all know. The person can be more intelligent. The person can have sometimes flashes of flashes of genius. It has nothing to do with a person's intellectual capacity. The parts of the brain function in different ways and different parts compensate in different ways. What it means is he has no pleasure, he has no taino. To be able to sit and focus and be in tune in one topic and one concept, deeper and deeper. As a result of that, he says, this is true about every person of the world. It's also true about the Jewish people. But by the Jewish people, he says, what's going to happen is, culturally, everybody has that which their culture praises. So if somebody is a bookworm, if somebody is born in the Jewish people and he's the Marish Chayda, meaning he's not part of a social scene. It doesn't interest him. He loves scholastics. Where is it going to be expressed itself? 
It's going to be expressed itself in Tainut. And maybe at 17 or at 16, he'll finish Shas, maybe once, maybe two times, maybe three times. Maybe at eight or nine already, day and night, or many hours he's learning and studying, and so his life goes. What is it? It's because, this. why is it? He says, this is Dover Hanog strong. This is the nature by the Jewish people. So now let's see Vaita. Page 38, how many lines from the top? The line starts, It's like 10, 15 lines from the top. The, the word starts, How many lines? 17. Because of these two different types of nature. The nature of moral levena, where you can't contain yourself and restrict yourself into one place and one idea. And the nature of moral shchayda, where you actually like retreating. You are just like the difference of an introvert and an extrovert. An introvert is, you like keeping to yourself. Yeah? You just like keeping to yourself. <coughs> I flew yesterday from uh, from Los Angeles to New York. Well, actually, I flew, I flew Sunday from New York to Los Angeles, from Newark to Los Angeles. So I was sitting near somebody. So when I came in, I, I said, good morning. I'm going to be his neighbor for six hours, right? So he gave me a, a, a shvach and not, but that was it. That was it. There was not a, a drop of interest to strike up a conversation, to ask anything, which actually worked for me. I wasn't... <coughs> It worked for me. But you see, sometimes you sit down and the person doesn't, a head stuff doesn't stop. Even if you want to do something, you can't. Yeah? And at the end, they know more about your life than you ever knew about your life, than your own wife knows about your life. They know more about it. Their own kids know about your life. Sometimes a person just is completely uninterested. So it's not always snob. Sometimes it's snobbiness. Sometimes it's a form of selfishness. Sometimes it's a form of, of disdain, arrogance. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes we actually confuse shy people and we think sometimes they're snobby. Sometimes there are people who are just shy, they're reserved. And, you know, they're not so outspoken and people think, oh, that's because of your own insecurities. Because you're so insecure, everyone has to tell you good job is a hundred times. And if not, that guy is a snob. Why is he a snob? Maybe you're just insecure. There's a big difference between shy people and snobs. A marashchayda is not a snob, but he's not shy. Of course, you could also you could be also a snob and a marashchayda, and shy and reserved, and it all works together. It's great for the resume. However, but the concept of marashchayda is not that, that, def, that, that by definition a snob or a shy person. It's by definition somebody who's just their energies they like to keep inside naturally, which is why learning is a very natural tool, because that allows you to flourish within. With the moral levena, the energy loves to go outwards, extrovert. And you're very comfortable in that place. You want your energy to be scattered. And for everyone, there's a comment, and more comments, and more observations, and center, what we call a top schmoozer, an excellent schmoozer. So all of this has to do very much with the nature of how one deals with seichel, one deals with learning and with intellect. So the says, But very often, in the Jewish scene, the Marish will gravitate not to philosophy 
or geometry or algebra, or mathematics or astronomy, although may be too, but it will be which includes a lot of astronomy too, and includes mathematics and includes philosophy. But his point is, the focus will happen to be on Torah, which is a great thing, which is divine. But essentially, it's not because he fought for it. It's because this was common for him, natural for him. And here he's really exposing one of those painful realities where you can have two boys in one class or two girls in one class. And one is considered the Tzadik Hadar, the Gadol Hadar, and it's only for one reason. Because he happens to be a bookworm. He happens to be reserved. He happens to love books. He happens to have a good IQ, even though his EQ is Lavdafka so good. And therefore, the culture, the culture that our society creates, he fits into it perfectly. He's like, you know, the, the, the piece of the puzzle that fits into the box, to the shape, in the most impeccable way, where the other kid is sticking out on every side, and everyone is always trying to chop off pieces of him. My boy was in a yeshiva, so I asked him, how, how are you doing in that yeshiva? He said, very well, I like it. So I asked him, I said, the yeshiva has a box, and everyone has to fit into the box, so they allow for individuality and creativity. He says, this yeshiva has a box, and everybody has to fit into the same box. It just happens to be, Tati, that by nature, I fit their box. So mainly for me, it works, because it happens to be that I fit their box, so it works. So when sometimes you look at these two children, and their reputations are min ha but it's completely chitzainis. It's completely external, because it just happens to be that this kid was gifted with certain kishrainis, with certain talents, and it worked perfectly. In terms of avoida, in terms of effort, in terms of sincerity, in terms of the work of transcending yourself and going deeper into yourself, there's absolutely no advantage. It may even be sometimes the other way around. You'll have a person, today they call it uh, Asperger's, Asperger's syndrome. One of the key Asperger's issues is that the person does not aware so much of social cues and is often afraid of social interactions. Now, the reasons for it are complicated. Some people argue that it's the exact opposite, that really they're more social because of the fear they had to retreat, become very antisocial. But I'm not getting into that. I'm talking about the facts that what they call Asperger is a person who's, who's not very good with social life. And very often they excel in their own personal life in terms of computer programming and, uh, <coughs> excuse me, scientific explorations and generally chachmas. Is this associated with Marashcheir or not? I don't know. We can argue this way or that way. But sometimes it happens that a person has absolutely no social skills and no emotional intelligence. No, what they call EQ, no emotional intelligence. They just have a good IQ. They have excellent intellectual intelligence, but no emotional intelligence. You'll ask them to understand a person. They can't understand people. They just don't. They have very little empathy. They have very little sensitivity to what other people, and it's not their fault. For whatever reason, their fault. Not It's really not gay. It's just not their skill. And yet, the person may, paradoxically, not paradoxically, be a gone oilam in learning. That's what that that mamish works for him. And in Yiddishkeit, since Limud Hatayda is not just a powerful thing, but it's an extraordinarily powerful thing. So by nature of reality, the person is elevated 
to a plateau that is extraordinary, when really there may be some very heavy flaws in terms of their ability to lead, to mentor, to connect, to understand, to empathize. And this is what the Chanin ibn Tradin understood. Doesn't only mean, don't only look at the barrel, look what's inside the barrel. Even when you look inside the barrel, you have to be able to understand what is really happening in the situation. Never ever define righteousness, or goodness, or holiness, or godliness, or success, based on the fact that a person just managed to succeed in the box that he's lucky to fit perfectly, and not a critique, it's not a critique or a criticism. It's wonderful, it's beautiful, it's a gift. But you have to understand what it is. It's this, and it's not anything else. We sometimes make a mistake and we equate knowledge with spiritual saintliness. They have nothing to do with each other. A person could be blessed, my computer has more knowledge than everybody. But it's still a computer, it's still clueless. Knowledge is a wonderful tool, but it's a tool. Knowledge, even Google, is the chmamish, unbelievable. Yet I never heard when Google is in the room, everybody stands up. I never heard of that. Google is now in the room, yeah? Google is in the room. But nobody's standing. And the answer is, what did he do already? But the truth is, again, it's not to be mavatal, this smile of a person. Not at all. Every person ought to be respected for what they are and what they achieve. And even every person has to be respected innately. But the point that we're making here is that we often have to understand and this, I think, is something uh, it's not always spoken about, and it frustrates people. Just because it happens to be that the guy sitting near me had a better head, a little more depressed, <laughs> hated people a little more than me, <laughs> and was never interested in seeing anybody going anywhere, not interested in anything, that's why he became the saint of the generation. Why? Where did that happen? Where did that development happen? Elokus, godliness, is already a whole different thing. <coughs> this has to do with chemistry. Where a person, where a person transforms himself to reach into a place of greatness has nothing to do with genius or IQ, which may completely be a product of your chemistry and your nature. So a person should never ever look at themselves and say, which is what happens, you know, you have in your class, you have the boy who was unbelievably successful. Straight hundreds for 15 years. And you were straight 40s for 15 years. And in a good day, a 30 or a 20. And when your teacher was in a good mood, a zero. And at best, at best, at Hanukkah gave you a 69. So you should get Hanukkah gal that night. And you look at yourself, you compare yourself to the other person. I'm the failure, he's the success story. And sometimes on a pneumatic level, it's not so simple. You may be working much harder for what you have than he ever put into his life. And the most important person to know this is that person himself. So this is just a general observation that we learn from here, which is quite important. When we put, we, we, we create, we put people on pedestals. This is the model of success. He's successful, you're failure, we do an injustice to many, many people. Because that's not success. Success is you trying your best to maximize your potentials, not 
you becoming somebody else and mimicking them, which you may possibly not be capable to. And it just creates unnecessary frustration. There's no such a thing. A person has to be like somebody else. You have to be who you are. He said, yeah, when I'm going to come to heaven, they're not going to ask me, why weren't you like Moshe Rabbeinu? I'll have a good answer. Because I wasn't Moshe. Why weren't you like Avram? Because I wasn't Avram. He said, I'm afraid of another question. Why weren't you Zusha? That I won't have an answer for. But the truth is, it's the other way around. When you're busy being Avram and Moshe, it's not just you're going to end up being frustrated because you can't be. You're also not going to end up being Zusha. That's even a bigger crime. Why did you decide that in your life there's such little meaning that you have to be somebody else? Besides the fact that you won't be somebody else, you also won't be you. Your blessing won't be given to the world. For this, a person always has to judge themselves based on who they're supposed to be, not who somebody else is. By nature, the mother Shkodenik, who by nature is a bookworm and loves learning and loves scholastic, just like you had by Umas Ha'olam, they retreated completely into the world of study. You have this also by the Jewish people. What's the conclusion of this? So now he continues. And by Jews, because the culture is learning, you'll have a metzius of a boy or a young man, a young woman, who craves with their entire soul and heart to harav and to shtayik, to immerse in learning day and night, he will never stop. So you look and you say, wow, this is a phenomenon. Here's a person, was concerned, knew his entire life he dedicated to Chachma, to Torah. And it was wonderful. And not only to learning it, but also to teaching it. But he had to ask himself one question. Maybe this was just my natural disposition. <laughs> now he says, maybe this is only a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a, it, it contributed only a little bit. But he felt that ultimately, to say that this was for Hashem himself, he can't say that. It happened to work for him very nicely. This was his nature, this was his disposition. So he had a mazel, he loves Torah, he loves learning, he loves having students, he loves teaching. This is all him living his dream. Somebody else is living their dream. They like their horse races, or their cars, or their watches, or their fine cuisine, or their wine connoisseurs, and I'm living my dream. But we're all living our own dreams. We're all literally remaining and and playing out the script of our DNA, of our nature. And even if if it's if it's only a little bit, but he felt that there was something in his learning that he doesn't have to feel, that he can't feel, it's Hashem Levada. So who do you ask such a question? He asked his Rebbe, Rebbe Yossi, he says, how do you understand me? Am I going to get Olam Haba because in my heart there's only one? And here, we, of course, he's defining what Olam Haba means. The way a lot of people touch Olam Haba is, you filled out the checklist, you get the lasagna at the end of the day. 
You came to work 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, or Friday, whatever the time is, you get your check. <coughs> if you weren't here for one week, you have an excuse. You had a flu, a good flu, you can come with a doctor's note, you still get your paycheck. So a lot of people understand, no, 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 no. There's, a, there's a checklist, God says fill it out every day. You don't show up for a chakras, what's the excuse? Last night there was a chasana, a mitzvah tans till four in the morning. Fine, maybe it's a good excuse, so you dive in an hour later. But it's a checklist. And the question is, whoever has the most checks at the end of the day, wins, gets the biggest piece of cake. More of yos and more share bar. And that's what it is, and everything works like that. That Eilam first of all, he wasn't interested in And he also wasn't worried about it. He's talking a different Eilam Haber. He's talking the Eilam Haber that the Balatanya talks about a place where he can experience the full relationship with Hashem. For this, the condition is Ein It's an expression of Psach from Psach. By the end of his life, it says Yaakov wanted to be Megala the Kates, and he felt that the Shekhinah wasn't there, and he thought maybe one of his children was uh, was blemished spiritually. So they told him Shmai Yisro Hashem Lekein Hashem Echad Kishem Shem Belipcha Ela Echad. Just as in your heart is Echad, in our heart is also Echad. And that when, when he said, Baruch Shem Foyed Malchusay, which is why we say Baruch Shem Foyed Malchusay, after Shema Yisrael. That's the quote here. She'ein b'libay ela Echad. Reb Chanidim and Chadim wanted to know what's Pshat of Ben Elam Haba. Ben Elam Haba is not necessarily even about the next world. It's even about this world. Elam Haba is a place where godliness is fully present where the oneness of Hashem is fully revealed. What does it mean a person experiences Elam Abba fully? It means that a person refined himself to the point that he became a conduit for divine. He became a conduit for the divine. Reb Chanina ben Tradi looked at himself and he said, I may have lived my whole life learning. I may have lived my whole life teaching. I may have died for this. Sometimes a person feels... Without this, I have no life. If you take this away from me, kill me. There are people like that. There were people who were musicians, people who were chachamim. If you take this away, you had Socrates, was ready to die for his philosophy. In Greece, one of the greatest philosophers in the history was Socrates. Plato's teacher, who was Plato was Aristotle's teacher, he was Plato's teacher. He died for it. Islamists, fundamentalists, are ready to die every day for 72 pies of pizza or 72 planters of sushi. Not to compare, on another level you have soldiers who are ready to die for their country. And this becomes my passion, this becomes my identity. Reb Chanina ben Tradi knew all this about himself and he still wasn't sure that he's Shaykh Talam Abba. He's going to get schar, of course he's going to get schar. Where is he going to go to Gehenna? What is God going to do? Put him in Gehenna? What is he going to do in Gehenna? Play Pac-Man. What is he going to do in Gehenna? Play poker. He'll give a Shia Gemara there, maybe. But Elam he wants to know if he's Shaykh Elam Haba. In other words, did he really transcend his eye? Did he really penetrate his clipper? Did he really go beyond the ego? Did he really refine himself to become a conduit for Enoid Mulvadeh, for Hashem Echad? It happens to be that I have a brilliant IQ. He's a Balkishan. He has a photographic memory. He loves Shas and Paskiv. He's a bookworm. He doesn't like people. But it doesn't mean he's a real Ben Elam It doesn't mean Ein B'Libay Echad. 
It means that it happens to be he was in a place that he could live out his own instinctive passions. So why are you better than the other person? He lived his passions, you lived your passions. He followed his genetic makeup, you followed your genetic makeup. You followed where they put you, he followed where they put you, but it's not a real difference. And he says, even Rebchanidah ben Shadyan, he didn't really think it was that late. But maybe Ma'at Mizeh, maybe a little bit is no Elamah. In other words, there's even a little part of him that's contributing to it. Ma'at Mizeh, it's not Lashem Levanda. Which for Rechidim Tadim, that was painful. <coughs> That's a very deep question. Who am I for real? Who am I? Who am I? Even if he's ready to die. Yeah. That's what I'm telling you, that people are ready to die yeah, but because their him. ego is a bigger ego. Death could make your ego bigger. We Americans are not into that, I know that. We're, <laughs> we're in the West. By us, a couple of dollars will make the ego better. Right? As a Jewish comedian once said, I don't want to remain immortal through my works. I want to remain immortal in my apartment. But sometimes people look for immortality. You know, they go into the books of world records. Forever they remember it. Or they represent themselves by their religion or by their tribe or by their race or by their people. It's just a bigger ego. Your ego has more imagination. Not just an ego here, an ego even after death. But you become a hero. Some people are like that. I may not understand it or relate to it. I personally don't have that taiva. But but some people have it. But taiva v'yala taiva. You understand? I like cheese danishes. Pseidon. You kill yourself for cheese danishes? I also kill myself for cheese danish. It's also a form of death. It's just a prolonged death. Actually, it's much harder. That guy, at least, he kills himself. And this is, you die over many years. Yes, for staff. And we have Messiris Nefesh for it. You ever see at a Kiddush, the Messiris Nefesh that people have? To kill themselves? The answer is, because I want. He also wants. <laughs> This is not, Kabbalah is not criticizing himself. He's not criticizing what he did. But in a very deep, in a very deep place, he's being honest. Who am I? I just want to know who am I? He doesn't fear he's going to go to Gehenna. Am I a conduit for the divine? Am I a person of godliness? Did I touch the truth of Elokus? Or, I'm a victim to my own genes like everybody else. It happens to be I got good genes. And I got a good head. And I love learning. And I love teaching. So it worked itself out beautifully. And even if that's only a little part of it, but even that little part of it is ultimately not allowing him fully to be an Elam Abba. Because that little part, where it's the ego, where it's the nature, not the ego so much, the nature, Teva Gufa, is challenging that purity. You want to know if he goes against his nature. So what did he answer? Look at his words. This will not be clear. This is not a clear thing. How do you know this? How does one know this? They say, there was a parush. There was a Yid, there was a Parush, in a particular shtetl. He didn't speak to people. He used to sit in an attic, Yoimam Valayla sat for 50 years and learned. And uh, 
the Santa Maisa, I don't remember the details. And uh, Friday afternoon he would go to the mikveh. And after the mikveh he would sit, there was a stem of a tree. And when he come out of the mikveh he would sit on the stem of the tree. And the city would walk by and everybody would uh, would greet him. And all the children. He was like a legend. He sat all week in the attic and learned. Once a week he appeared, somebody brought him some food. Once a week he came out of the mikveh Shabbos and it was, like, it was almost like a scene. Everybody would walk by and greet him and children would come to get a bracha. It was like a whole scene. One of the big was him with a kotzke. What's that? That the whole reason he does this for fifty years is for these few moments. <laughs> the whole purpose of him being on the attic for fifty years is for these few moments. <laughs> what did he want to bring up? Against the nations. You sit on the stem of the tree. We'll also make you man. Give a bracha. Give a bracha. He was bringing out an emes. The Kotzke Rebbe once said that the Yitzhahara comes to you even on your deathbed. <coughs> even on your deathbed, the Yitzhahara still comes. So they said, what, what? person is dying, his is breathing. What's the Yitzhahara then? So the Yitzhahara says, I'll say it in Yiddish, the Rebbe said, the Yitzhahara comes to you and says, Starb nisht op Don't just die like an animal. Say shma. Come to the word echot and then die. Ah. <laughs> For ten years, Yotzon is Shmosayba. He says, that's the Yitzhak. Now, what does the Kotzke ever try to do, Stami? Stech everything. But this is the end of Emes. A person died. He said, Shmaya saw on his lips, the greatest death. They speak about it. They probably write it on his mouth. The whole Shiva, that's what they were talking about. You have a comment? How we went, this and that. Unbelievable. And it's Kaskarim says, I ate Sahara. <laughs> this guy's busy with money. This guy's busy with covenant. This guy's busy with Shmai Yisrael. He says, I'll be at Sahara. But what's the point? The point is, with Olam Habit, it has nothing to do. With, with godliness, it has nothing to do. You remained fine. You remained a person with the Yet Sahara. But to the world, whoa, Kedisha, Tara, purity, holiness, because he's sitting on the stem of a tree. It looks like he's out for lunch. It looks like he's an absent-minded professor. Yeah? But really, he's driving his Jaguar on the way to Atlantic City like everybody else. It's just his format. There's a different format. But the Edelkeit is the star. And we're not and we're not saying it's not better. that this is his jaguar. But for the Bhinina bin Tadin that wasn't satisfactory. They said it's another Maisa that there was another yid like this, it's a parush. And after sixty years he opened he never spoke. After sixty years he opened his mouth and he spoke about somebody. There was somebody in the city. And he said something negative about him, very negative. And it cut down the person for, for good. So I think they also said that I, I read this years ago, I have to remember the details, I just reminded myself. When Mubshizka said, he learned 60 years that when he says this, they'll believe him. Also a similar The point is that sometimes something could look very, very holy, but the Pnimius is rotten. And not even rotten, the Pnimius, there's, there's nothing there. There's nothing really there. And that's what frustrates so many people today. A lot of people today, they're looking for MS. They're looking for Pneumius. 
And people run wherever there's something, wherever there's a show in town, the Olam life. There's a show here, you run. People run from circuses to circuses to circuses. They're looking for something. They want to have memories. Of, they read in Swadim. This one reads about the Baal Shem Tev. This one reads about the Kotzke Rebbe. This one reads about the Svasemes. This one reads about the, the Chazoy Nish, of Chaim Briska, the Vilna Gon, the Neide Behuda. Wherever it is, whatever cries you're in, this cries, that cries. But you have these stories and we're looking weird. And then you hear this something. Oh, my life, my life, my life. People are running. <laughs> my life, everyone runs. And, 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 you know, <laughs> there's, there's a story about the, the emperor. You know the story, yeah? There was once an emperor who decided to uh, get a tailor to make for him the most beautiful clothes in the world. And he said he found a tailor that's going to make him clothes that's so thin that it's invisible. <laughs> Yeah, and the tailor worked for three years, and he made this unbelievable fine silk fabric that's invisible. That's how edel it is. And finally, the emperor came out in this levushim, and everybody moved. Wow! Look at the brilliance of the tailor. And then a little kid got up and said, "The emperor is naked." <laughs> it took a little kid to penetrate all the shkarim. The emperor got no clothes, man. <laughs> he just got no clothes. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. And you know what they did to that kid? They stoned him. <laughs> Chutzpah. Chutzpah. You don't see it. You're not smart enough. You're not dumb enough. <laughs> Why? Because there's mass hysteria. Mass hysteria. The clothes, the clothes. There has to be clothes because that's what they said. But nobody sees it. Okay. It's so idle. It's so unbelievable. Nobody sees it. It takes a child to say, because there's nothing here. The emperor has no clothes. <laughs> and as long as you remain addicted to lies, you'll never find truth. Who cares? So they think there's no clothes. They think there's no clothes. They'll never know what clothes are. They'll never know what nakedness is. They won't know the truth. So... It's not even a critique, it's just an understanding of Khanid Bajad that says, I don't want to be lost my whole life. So you have people running, 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 and you see, especially young light, they're jaded. You know what jaded means? Jaded means uh sinish. Sinish. You know what sinish is? Cynical. They give up on truth. Why? Because take me to, they come to another place. Okay, we'll go here, we'll go here, we'll go here, we'll go here. The emperor, look at the clothes. They don't see anything. Because you're an idiot. Because <laughs> you're a behemagasa. Because you're a davar acher. If you would have a edel oigin, you would see how beautiful the clothes is. But the child in him says, no, there's no clothes here. But he's not a balgaivist. He says, it must be that I must be such a loser that I don't see. But people get very, very frustrated because they're promised. They, they're looking for that nakud of emes, for that point of inspiration for that person. They don't find it, and then they just give up. They're internally dry and empty and dead. Why is it? Because people deep down know the difference. You know the difference. You cannot find a lamhaba. You cannot find a lakus only with there's a lakus. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You're not going to find emes only with this emes, where it's chitzainius and inside. Inside is just another game. You're not going to find it. And you're going to be frustrated. And as many people will tell you, look better, take off your glasses, buy binoculars, get on a bleacher. Or whatever it is, take a video. 
It's not going to help you see it because it's not there. The emperor has no clothes. And it doesn't mean he's not a good emperor. He's a wonderful emperor. But what you're looking for, you're not going to be able to find. Because he can't find it there either. I'm not talking about everybody who am I talking. I'm not talking about anybody. I'm not talking about any place. I'm not talking about any person. Somebody that Tzamech Tzedek once spoke, so he was talking. So somebody said, uh, why do you keep on talking about this person? He said, I'm not talking about anybody. He said, I'll tell you how it works. He says, I'm like a man who owns a hat store. Yeah? The hat has a lot of shapes and a lot of fits and a lot of sizes. Then somebody comes into the hat store, puts on a hat. It fits him perfectly. Yeah? So Mahtadik says, At Emma That's the person I met. The owner of the hat store says, This hat, I didn't make it for you. I made it. It fits you, I made it for you. I'm not talking about a specific person or a specific movement or a specific organization or a specific circus or a specific place. I'm talking about a concept that you see constantly today. People are running, they're looking, they're looking, they're looking, and looking, and inside they get frustrated and more annoyed and more annoyed and more annoyed. And the reason is because chitzonius and plimis have nothing to do with each other. It's a nice thing, chitzonius is a nice thing, but it's chitzonius or his whole life was tired. But Pnimius he felt... There's something, there may be a little bit, by him it was maybe 5%, but even that 5% frustrated him. Because it meant that there was something different here. This Rabbi Yosef Mekismus said, this is not so partial. Because on the outside nobody would know this. This you have to go much deeper. What was his advice to him? So we'll see tomorrow. So let's continue inside. The line starts, Echot uh, Chuli. So the Balatanya Taishas, what was the question? The question was not only if he's going to get schar, if he's going to get rewards for his good deeds for his Torah, for his Maisim Tevim, etc. The question is if he can actually be a Ben Elam Haba, if he can actually experience Elam Haba fully, because Ein Beliboy Ela Echad in his heart is oneness. As explained at length, that he was concerned within himself, he was evaluating himself, and he was questioning, trying to reach his, the emes, the truth of where he's at, that sometimes a person can do something, and do something with their heart and soul, and do something to the point of sacrifice, but essentially, which is, and the act may be extraordinarily noble, that we always have to remember. The question is not if the act is worthy or unworthy. And the Gemara says, that a person should engage in Torah person does a good thing, whatever the incentives are, Somebody asked me yesterday, does it mean the person should stop? No, of course not. The person is doing a good thing. We all have, a person has agendas, a person has incentives, a person is giving stalker. The 
because uh, for whatever external reasons or agendas, they should stop giving stalker What's better if he doesn't give stalker His ego won't become more refined by not giving stalker Yeah, a person is learning Torah, a person is davening, a person does a mitzvah. That's not the question. That's not the question at hand. And Fakir, the pnimius is always connected. We learned yesterday in the Gemara said over from the Degel Machin Ephraim about the Chazer that when Mashiach comes the Chazer is going to be kosher so he explains al piyavoida that uh, the Dover Acher the Chazer externally looks kosher because he has a split hoof internally he's not kosher because he doesn't chew its cud but lost love will be nizgala that the Chazer is kosher meaning representing symbolically, homiletically, that even when a person does something and it's l'chayda external, it's only is so he thinks that there's nothing there, he's not kosher, he's treif, because internally he's treif. So the chiddush that's going to be in his gala is that the is that he was doing is really a reflection of his primius. But that's something that one has to see. So the question here is not if Rabbi didn't ask if he should quit learning, if he should quit his Torah. That wasn't the Shaila, of course. There's a value to that. There's a value to that. Some sort of things are That's that's part of the human condition. But the Rabbi was looking for Emes. He wanted to understand who he is. Sometimes who a person is, deep down, has little to do with what appears to the public and even to the person himself. So you can have a person, and this is, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's an astounding idea. You can have a person that his entire life was dedicated to learning, and as we see in this story, not only to learning, but to learning with others. And not just dedicated as a dedication, but dedicated at Kedei Mesiris Nefesh to a point of absolute self-sacrifice. And yet he doesn't know if he's Shaykh Talim If he's Shaykh Talim with a Pnimius. In other words, he doesn't know if essentially his entire Torah, his whole life to the point of Mesiris Nefesh is merely a result of something that worked for him so well and so comfortably due to his nature, due to his chemistry, due to his, as we would say today, his DNA, his genetic makeup, his interests. A person is a marish A person is an introvert. A person is in the nature of, uh, of curiosity. He's a scholastic. He loves, loves, loves and cherishes wisdom and more wisdom and the deeper it is, the more intricate it is. This is his chiyus, this is his life, this is his pleasure, this is his time. Without it, he doesn't have a life. Ein because he's a yid, because he's a Jew, it's directed in Torah. As he said, that's the outlet, that's the manifestation. But essentially, if it would be somewhere else, it would be in a different outlet. But the Nekudah here is that he questioned and he wanted to understand what is really behind all of this. Ve'eshivoy, so Rabbi Yosem and Kisma answers him, 
This is not so poshant. This is not so clear. It's not so poshant who you are. This is not a simple thing. Because we're not talking about the externals, the chitzayinius. We're talking here about the pnimius. We should emphasize this again. That he says, if he says, he wasn't really a it wasn't really a suffolk. There was no element of avodas Hashem here. But maat he thought maybe there's a little bit of it in the chinami. Maybe ninety percent, ninety five percent is uh, is authentic, is divine. But he thought even a little bit. It's as he puts it, angel Hashem levada. It's not Hashem levada, even a little bit. Right. Right. This is not a judgment. It's really out of your nature. Nature was to learn to know to be, you know, but sometimes when you're so in love with something, you can't live without it. It's not. It's not being mavatel the the and the passion. It's just telling you who the Bchanina Bedradin was. You understand? It's not a judgment call. The Bchanina Bedradin wasn't there to judge himself. But it tells you who he was, what he was searching for, what he was looking for. The Nekud of Emes, in its full, full truthfulness, in its full, full Pnemes. It's often a lot of work. The moral of Vena by nature, as he puts it, is just very different. It's hard for him to to be so arrogant, to be so immersed in learning. Fakert, his nature gravitates to it. More segregated, more isolated from people, less interest in social social dynamics. You know, likes his corner, could sit in one place for who knows how long, for many years, could look out the same window, or not even look out the window, the shades could be closed, and can do it for decades. The moral of is alabadik, as they say. You know, obviously there's levels in each one, but sometimes you have an moral of to the extreme. The extreme, you know, loves, loves the outside, loves going from one thing to another thing. Alabadik is a different type of person. Sometimes you have what they call a party animal. You know, just, <laughs> he comes to life. He comes to life through it. And in it, and this has to do with nature, push different dispositions. You have to know who you are, respect who you are. Some people, when they're out with so many people, it's like they come to life, they love every moment of it, they can't wait till the next one. And other people, they're there as a honos dibur, in chains, and they're waiting for the moment they could, uh, you know, run back into their hiding place, where they find comfort. One person has chiyus, his life he finds in isolation, in thought, <laughs> internally, more somber, more serious, more earnest. 
Sometimes also more melancholy. Like a marshal, there's a little more melancholy, you know. Not so excited. And for learning, that's a Gavaldic Indian. And it's Taka Gavaldic Indian. And I'm having a bit shot, and perhaps thought, yeah, that was Taka my whole life. Sometimes you see a person, this is their whole life. <coughs> so externally, <coughs> you look at the model of Vain, and say, no. And you look at the mother Shreda, and you elevate him on a pedestal. Sometimes it happens often. Malatanya says, Both didn't move the needle. He may have never even moved the needle of his, uh, of, of, of who he is, discovering who he really is. It's very possible. What if Malalevona married Malashkhoa? What if Amara Levaina marries Amara Shchaida? Well, that happens very often. Amara Levaina marries Amara Shchaida. the only way it works. And uh, so two things can happen. Either they can always argue about what to do at night, because it's opposite interests, or they could learn to uh, respect each other and learn from each other and give space for each other. And sometimes transcend themselves to be able to appreciate and give space for the other, which is the point. Yeah, good question. Rabbi, we're discussing the depth of introspection at the core, honesty level. Depth of introspection at its core, yeah, good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honesty level. Simple level, though. Yeah. <laughs> you feel there's something in the other person you don't have. But the bottom line is that we have to be learning all day and all night. Mm-hmm. reason is why. In a chaname. No, but... but, but, but and that's, and that's doing, why he was celebrated. I'm not doing it the right way, but... That's what day, I said in the beginning. That's not a shayla. That's not the question if he was doing something right or wrong. Obviously he was doing a great thing. And for doing a great thing, he's going to get schar. And ain't a kaddish baruch mekapech schar kol beria. Certainly, the schar of limud aterna ain't lemayla imena. That's not the focus of this mime. It's the focus of other mime other other shmuz. Do I have to tell the ruach kodesh? Perhaps. Chaim v'loshin as well. Yeah, Chaim v'loshin as well. Yeah. About the contributions. Yeah. The different different parts were used for different things. Depends on how where the person was. Avadi being the kind the mitzvah and being the kind the chiv. That wasn't his question. I'm talking about the gemara side. I'm talking about our side. Our side in the day of Moshchayr at the end of the day is not out to to change what he is. He's doing what's what's required of him. Forget about the gemara right now. I'm saying we're, we're bringing this to our practicality. So to us, a Moshchera at the end of the day is doing what he's supposed to be doing. His need is not to change. You're asking a question. L'chayra, the Moshchera is ultimately fulfilling the purpose of his creation. Correct. And doing what he's supposed to be doing. Correct. So it's great, it's awesome. Correct. But we see the differences, as we shall soon see. We see the differences that sometimes a person is called for to do something or get involved in something that's different than the true of Marashayna. And if his entire Avodah Hashem was basically just a result of what came pretty easy to him, and it worked for him in his box, 
the moment God calls on him to go out of his box, there sometimes completely not shy to it. Because his entire Avaidus Hashem is filtered through one prism and one prism only. The people who want to collect money when they have to, and it was impossible for them to go. And they push them. Yeah. It's possible just to answer this question. Life, he doesn't know if he's going to get Elam Ha before. But then one put him, 
he got mixed up between the two piles of money, and he gave it away for stock. What happened? He basically squandered money. Pizer moment means you scatter money, you squander money. He had money that belonged to him. And he gave it away for tzedakah. He thought there was tzedakah money, he wasn't personal. Later he realized he made a mistake. Naturally, he could have reclaimed the money from tzedakah. And it was fear and honest. And you know, talking about a person that just the money wasn't of his market. Money had a lot of value, it had significance. It didn't grow on trees even then, as it still doesn't today. At least for some. And he gave it away. Pizer moment. He scattered money. This said something. This showed. His Mesidus Nefesh is not rooted in his gallbladder. In his Mesidus Nefesh, you don't see even the Shoydash, the Nekuda, the root of his mother. Why? Marashchera comes with something else. It usually causes stinginess. You're kamsa. You're more stingy, more reserved, more extrovert. You hold back. Marashchera is usually associated with a spender, with pizer, who's wandering. What do we? What does? What does this mean? Usually, a marashchera. Loves intellectualism, but somebody who's more somber, more on the, I don't want to lose the word depressed because it sounds so negative, but more on the melancholy side, thoughtful, reflective, they're also stingy. <coughs> they're also stingy. People of Mara Levena, yeah, what's inside they want to go out. The Marashkeda Fakert, what's outside you want to come back in. So you see it also in the relationship with money. There are people that every dollar is accounted for. Not a dollar, a nickel is accounted for. This doesn't have to do with how much they make. Fakert, the more they make, the more they make on a nickel. They'll say it's not the nickel, it's the principle. It's always the principle. Not the dollar, it's the Indian, it's, it's the MS, yeah? Always, of course. Okay, that's already how people, you know, deal with defining themselves to themselves. So they should feel that didn't have that issue. He didn't, there was no issue of, uh, you know, self-rationalization. But you have right. two tevas, you have a nature, a person is a spender. A spender. And it doesn't have to do so much with kindness or selfishness. Rather, it has to do, push it with a teva. Some people are kamtsonim. They're stingy, they're stingy on themselves, they're stingy on their children. They're stingy on their friends, they're stingy on their spouses, they're stingy on their family. They're just stingy. Midasakamtsanas comes from the word likmites, right? Kamats. In kamats, you close your lips. Patach, you open your lips. Kamats and patach. The Torah says in Parshish Rei. Famachmish dehen. That's kamtsanas. Kmitza, yeah, by the Mesachta Menachas. That's learning, learned now by many. Kmitza, the Koyen, closed a few fingers of his fist, to be able to contain the flour, which was then put on the Mizbeach as a carpet, as a carpet menuchah. It's called Kmitzah. And that's the value, the Nekudah of Kometz. Patach, to say Patach, Pa. 
My lips open up. It's open. Psyche. It's more pizza. So in nature, you see, again, he's speaking here in extremes just to define the idea. But you see people, they just spend, they love spending, and the more they could spend, the better it is. And sometimes they don't have, but they still spend. They make a simcha, they think big, expensive, they spend. Other people are trying to, to mince on every single dime. Every receipt is accounted for. Everything the wife bought extra for the Shabbos table, for the Shabbos brachas, for the mitzvah, what do we need this for? It's the caterer's nightmare. Dealing with Kamtsanim, it's his dream to deal with the Mephazah. And again, we're not talking here, it's not a judgment call on where a person is. Sometimes Kamtsanis can be a Shrek, because you just mince everything. And sometimes the opposite can also be a Shrek, because there's nothing left for anybody else. You know, this pizza. But here we're talking about the nature. The mother Levena loves people, doesn't like tzimtzum, just like he doesn't like tzimtzum in ideas, he doesn't like tzimtzum in money. As he said before, it's hard for him to learn, because it's hard for him to be metzamtzum machshafta, to restrict, to channel his mind into one Indian, one sugya, one... Ekenish zitzin in ain't art, he has to be everywhere, his money also has to be everywhere. That's his nature. And he loves it, he loves it, he celebrates it. This is part of his life. And the mother Shreda is the opposite. Loves to learn, loves to think, loves to be introspective, loves to be himself, and also loves when the money stays here. So here's a shout. It says, I had the money and I spent it. I gave it away. So what's going on here? So the B'yashim ben Kisma says, this little story wasn't a little story. It was a story about maybe a couple of dollars, a couple of shkalim, a couple of dinarim, whatever it was. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was a lot, maybe it was a little. It wasn't that, it wasn't the Nakuda. The pnimius of truth you could see in a dollar. It's not about it was a hundred dollars, a million dollars, ten million dollars. <laughs> Downstairs is Mother Shreda, upstairs is Mother Levena, if I can't. Maybe if I can't, huh? Like, going out. Why? Should be Zem moving from this Meiser, if Yossi says, Should be seen a snapshot of a Taira, who rack. From this Maisa, he tells him, if so, your lot should be my lot. Your fate should be my fate. Because it demonstrated that his sacrifice, his complete dedication for Torah, was as the Shvatim. Tell Yaakov Avinu, Kishem Shein Belibcha Alechot, Kachein Belibenu Alechot. That's where the quote is from Gemara Maseches Psachim. Just like in your heart is only one, in our heart, in his heart is one. Ve'imboy Taruvus Tivis Klal. It's there's nothing mixed in, just because this is my comfort zone, this is my box, this works for me. So in a moment. Because one of the two wouldn't work with Teva. If Yitaka says, hold Torah, and even his Mesidus Nefesh for Torah, 
his mitzvah, this is his comfort zone, then what happened with Purim? El you'll say, that was his comfort zone, he's a spender. Then what is he so dedicated to Torah? One of the two. That ability to be able to shift comfort zones meant he's not stuck in a comfort zone. He's not stuck in a box. His heart is open. His heart is a condu- conduit, a sinner, a channel for echot, for oneness. Coming soon. They're all coming. I hope not. <laughs> Let's pray not. His heart is a channel for achdus, for oneness. That's what the Yosi Ben Kisma tells him. Chanin Ben Zadi. Chanin Ben Zadi understood his question. He understood the answer. Klu Maisa Boliyotcha. The Yosi Ben Kisma said, "In Cain, Mechalkecha Yechalki, or Megirolcha Yehegirali." I think you know we have in our own lives every person constructs in their lives a certain system, a certain structure that works. That's what a normal person does. A schedule, a schnitt, a mahalach, a way you deal with yourself, a way you deal with your loved ones, a way you deal with other people. This becomes what's called your MO. This is your Seder Hayyim. A person has a schedule, how they live. But it's not just a physical schedule of how I live during the day, but also how I operate internally. How you respond to these situations, where you go, where you don't go, how long you stay. Every person makes for themselves, I don't know, some, some, types of, some type of box, some types of context in which you live. I mean, that's what a responsible person does. The time you wake up, more or less, the time you wake up, the time you go to sleep, because where you go, where you don't go, who you hang out with, what your places are, etc. Every person, whatever tchum it is, by Jews, by non-Jews, all types of people, this is your, based on what? Based on, obviously, your interests, who you are, your nature, your disposition, your vocation, your talents, your gifts, your resources. And again, this is, as he says, it's not even a Jewish thing. This is a universal thing in any culture, in any tribe, in, in their tchumen. There's different interests that people have, and therefore they gravitate to certain places, and they build a life around it. And sometimes they build a very, very successful life around it. I'll read sometimes about scientists and scholars who sit in their labs for 30 years, 40 years, Yoimam Valayla Loyish Baisu doing research to be able to figure out microbes, to be able to figure out some intricacies of human nature, animal nature, people who analyze insects for 70 years. Yeah, you have to have to, to take a bee or a mosquito or an ant and find out everything about its life. Some are like, why? And for other people, it's amazing, it's unbelievable. People do it with plants their whole life. Their whole life. And other people, this is just not their thing, you know, they're out there. You know, 
very often successful business people, not all, not always, but sometimes successful business people, yeah, academically, they were the worst. They couldn't sit still. You're probably having your own class. Somebody couldn't sit still for five minutes. And because of that, he is actually very successful. So we build a life, and hopefully a successful life, but usually, once in a while, life calls on you to make a 180 degree turn. Sometimes it's something that your child needs. And everything you knew was true, you now have to question. Everything you were so addicted to is not working. I'll see sometimes uh, parents who have a certain mahalach and everything was working with all their children and they were following that. And one child is completely in a different state. And his life or her life is in danger in terms of issues. And the saddest thing is the father and the mother will never ever go out of what is their comfort zone. But they won't admit it. They'll say, this is what Hashem wants. This is what Hashem wants. It also works for me, but it's what Hashem wants. And I will never, ever change that. You fit in here? Good. If not, you're out. Why? Why? It's Megala that 50 years of Avaidus Hashem had nothing to do with God. The word was God, always. And it happened to be good things. And you're going to get schar. We're not taking away anything. But it had nothing to do with Avodah Hashem. It had to do with what made me feel good. <laughs> Which is like a Kazakh. You felt good. It's good. Some people feel good after the cholt. Yeah. Well, you told me he was walking shoes in a particular neighborhood. And you'll forgive me. I'm just telling the story the way it happened. And uh, there was a yid, can I hear a, a balbosser? And uh, he was walking to Mincha, Shavuos afternoon, with his son, his little son. And on the road, <coughs> as on the street, he gave a big, big grept. A big, uh, you know what a grept is? Burp. <laughs> and he turns to his son, he says, ah! The chalupzas are a given geschmack, The chalupzas, which are uh, stuffed cabbage, right? Stuffed cabbage. Were delicious, ah? Huh? <laughs> That's one experience. They say that the Beis Yisrael, the uh, Ger Rebbe, he had a tish on Friday night, but there was very little food there in Ger. Huh? The Paris tish. Yeah, you were there many times, Rabbi Krieger was there. So uh, on the way to Tish, some people would stop by the Strupka because his wife would prepare unbelievable. Kugelach mit the Yerushalmi Kugels, that's where they were molded, that's where they were, that's where the oil was created, that's where the Kugel was created. And she would serve literally uh, a storm. She would cook up a storm. So on the way to the base, Yisrael, it paid. You know, you came from your house. What did your wife make already? Nine course meal, and then you went to the Strapkever, and you ate, you know, one o'clock in the morning, and then you went to the Beis to finish the tish. So by the time they came to the Beis Yisrael, everybody was exhausted, and, um, you know, they would do what you do after a heavy meal. 
So a Yid once told me, if I'm gathered, he says, Sinal looks at somebody who gave a burp in the middle of his tish, and he says, Essen, Esther, Bamstropkeva. And there comes the greps, and can't start us again. Eating Yid by the Stropkeva. Here you came to let out your burps. I don't need it. The same goes for the Moorish Huh? The same goes for the Moorish Huh? After the night of Shuiz, Shuiz, when he's up and he says, Ah, Gishmakalim. <laughs> that was my point. <laughs> that was my point. So again, it it's not mevatel the Indian of chitz, the Indian that a person is doing a wonderful thing, just like the spender is giving tzedakah. Fine, you could have used the money for other things, right? Look, probably doing a good thing is like a gavald because I think you have to remember that, especially when it comes to tzedakah. Avada, tell you also somebody is benefiting. His neshama is also benefiting. His mind is benefiting. It's keeping him out of trouble. He's being a mekayim a mitzvah. That's the biggest benefit. Mekayim a mitzvah. Limud atayda yediyus atayda. But the pnimius sometimes gets nesgala that 30, 40, 50 years I was addicted just to make my comfort zone feel good. And when life challenges you. And says, but take a look at what's needed at this moment. I can't. I have my version of God. In other words, I made God in my own image. <laughs> I'm going to give you a marshal for this. And again, we're talking about Dakus Shabbatakus here. was a Tana. was a Tana. They were not only Go'ine Yoylam, they were Tzadike Yoylam, Gedoshe Yoylam. He was one of the Asarugi Malchus. This is all what he thought about himself. But it teaches you, each one in their life, what type of honesty we're talking about, what type of introspection we're talking about. So I'm just going to give a little illustration also from something that is, is sensitive and subtle, but I think it gives a little gishmak to it. The Lubavitcher Rebbe once said, Shabbos Vayichif, Abreng, I think Tav Shalam, in the 1970s, Tav Shalam, in one of those years, he said that the beginning of Golos happened when Yosef went down to Mitzrayim. That's how the beginning of Golos was. And it says that Golos Mitzrayim is the Shoirish, is the root for all the other Golias. It all begins in Golos Mitzrayim. So he says the root of Golos, you could see from how Golos Mitzrayim began. How did it begin? Yosef was sold to Egypt, was went down to Egypt, and as a result, obviously decades later, Yaakov came down and the family moved, and as a result, they were subjugated and enslaved until Yitzhak Mitzrayim. So how did it all begin? It began, they wanted to kill Yosef, they didn't want to exile him. Reuven said, don't kill him. Instead, throw him into the pit. Let's not kill him, let's throw him into the pit. The Torah right away uncharacteristically tells us his intentions. Usually the Torah is not a book that describes intentions. It describes deeds, not motives. You've got to figure out the motives. Very seldom it describes intentions. One of them is Reuven. Laman, he wants to save him. He wants to bring him back to his father. So the plan is working beautifully. The brothers are happy. We'll throw him into a pit. Reuven is happy. I'm going to bring him out. Yosef will have a few hours of pain. All is well. When it ends well, all is going to be good. The Torah says, 
They sat down to eat bread. Next week, Vayeshev, which is Hazman Grum. Vayeshev Lech they sat down to eat bread. And then a caravan of merchants of Yishmaelim come, and Yehuda speaks up and says, Ma betza, there's really no benefit here of Yosef being in the pit. Let's sell him. Let's sell him. They lift up Yosef from the pit, and they sell him for Esrim Kesef. The Yosef Hurad Mitzrayim, Yosef ends up in Egypt as a slave, and he's bought by Poitif. It's the end of the story, but Reuven comes back. By Yoshev Reuven El Habor. There's nobody, nobody there. He rents his garments. He says, The boy is not here. What do I do? How am I going to come home to my father? And that's when they devise the whole scheme of dipping his tunic in blood. And in the goat blood, and giving it to Yaakov, giving him the assumption that Yosef was killed by a wild animal. The obvious question is, where was Reuven when they sold him? When by Yosef Reuven? So you have to say he wasn't there. The question is, why wasn't he there? So this is how Chazal was so sensitive to nuance. Because the Torah says, right after they threw him in the bit, they sat down to eat bread. Why is that relevant? What if they sat down to eat something else? What if they didn't? I mean, fine, they sat down to eat. People have to eat. So Chazal understood that was the secret. They sat down to eat. And Reuven couldn't eat. So he went away. Why couldn't he eat? So Rashi brings one of the interpretations. Reuven was fasting. He was in a sack and he would fast. Why? After Rachel passed away, it says, Reuven was together with Bila. Chazal interpreted that he took the bed out of Leia's tent, out of uh, Billah's tent, and put it in Leia's tent, because after Rachel's passing, Yaakov went to Billah's tent. She was Rachel's maid, and Reuven said, this is not fair for my mother, and therefore he put his bed into Leia's tent. In other words, he interfered into the intimate life of his father. And he was doing tshuva, so he was fasting. So when they sat down to eat, he said, sorry, I can't be part of this meal. So what did he do? He went somewhere, he went to the forest, he went to the wilderness, he went to the water. He was doing tshuva, he was davening, he was learning, he was doing his bitterness, his, whatever he was doing. Yasha Basaki Batanisa, he was fasting, it wasn't part of the meal. So later he comes back. So he said, let's think about this for a moment. When did this story happen with Bilha? It happened when Rachel passed away. That's nine years earlier. So Reuben was doing tshuva for nine years, fasting. He didn't start doing tshuva then. It was a continuation, just to fix what he did. What does this tell you about Reuben? tells you about his spiritual sensitivity. Nine years later, he's still doing tshuva. It's not that nine years later he reminded himself, let me do tshuva. For nine years he was doing tshuva, he was fasting, whatever his schedule was. Bahab, every day, but he was fasting. Now he was also fasting. As a result of his fasting... He didn't eat with them. So what happens? Yosef is sold as a slave. He comes back and he says, So the fact remains, even though he had the tremendous intentions, that as a result of Reuven being away, he threw him into the pit, but then he went off to Sake Yosef was sold in the pit. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe said, this is the beginning of Golos. The beginning of Golos is not bad people doing bad things. The genesis of Golos is sometimes the holiest of people. But there's something missing. What's missing? 
I guess Ruyim Hadvarim Lamisham, right? He said, think about this. He said in Yiddish, we can't to gain fasten on Davin and on Shuvatan, which has the waste as a Yiddish kid licked in a group. There's a Jewish child in a pit. How can you go off to fast and repent? This is not an unholy person doing unholy things, a narcissistic, apathetic person. This is a person who's, who's deeply spiritually sensitive. But Atkidekach, Yosef is in a pit. How do you go off to reflect and meditate and fast and do tshuva when you know there's a Jewish child languishing in a pit? That type of attitude, kivayachal, could be the genesis of Golos. Could be the genesis of exile. But what, what, I want to bring this much down to people who are not on the level of Ruven. Can't you say the same thing about the brothers? Obviously. But that's not a Chiddush. <laughs> the Chiddush is that sometimes you can be fasting, you'll be doing tshuva. At the surface, you're touching heaven. But essentially, as you're touching heaven, somebody is touching hell. So how could you remain in heaven when that's happening? But what does this mean in a person's life in a very practical way? A person lives a, way, a certain way. They live b'sakir b'tanisoy. And it's going, and the Mahalach is going. But then suddenly life throws a curveball. And life throws curveballs. And the person is challenged to reevaluate everything. But sit, my introspection and my emesdikite may be lacking. I will go on a serious nefesh to defend my comfort zone. And never ever to look out and say, maybe now it's time to recalculate as your ways tells you. And be able to say, I am a new person. To reinvent yourself. And real life challenges you to reinvent yourself constantly. But how can you do that? That's what Avodah Hashem is. That's what real Avodah Hashem is. Real Avodah Hashem means, Ein belibi ella echot. I'm a conduit for your truth. I'm not stuck. There's a father that he knows his child is in a very difficult situation. But it demands from him to change his schedule. Demands from him to change his malach. It demands from him to change the conversation on the Friday night table. But this is the conversation 25 years at the Friday night table. No, you have a Dvatayra? You don't have a Dvatayra? Why do I pay tuition? Savoyedus <coughs> Hashem. What should a Shabbos table look like? Sings Midas and say Taira. By him, this is Avoyedus Hashem. What is it really? I'm sure there's some Avoyedus Hashem mixed into it, but a lot of it is, this is what makes me feel good. Because he was also screamed out when he was a kid. He doesn't know anything else. This is religion. This is Yiddish guy. This is your path to Elam Haba. But your kid is in a pit. Think about the child. I can't do that. I can't really think about it. And people make sometimes the worst mistakes as a result of this. Why? Because if I'm in one state... We don't spend money here. Well, if we spend money here, this is what we do. We don't do anything else. This is where I'm comfortable. In other words, my comfort becomes a trap 
that doesn't allow any genuine growth. In contrast, there's the famous Maise, the opposite. And here you see Mamash, the opposite. There's different versions of the story, but the Nekunda of the story is that there was a other man, there was a poor man. I think I said it on Sukkot last year or two years ago. There was a poor man, and he always craved to have a beautiful esrik. And he saved up money. It wasn't easy for him to buy an esrik. The bottom line is, it came before Sukkot, and the supply of esrikim was very, very small. And an esrik cost a hoyakar, tremendous amount of money, but he saved up. But then he heard there's no esrikim at all. And if you want to buy an esrig, it would be, let's say, today you have to pay $10,000. It was a crazy amount that they didn't have. But the whole year he loved having an esrig. So Erev Sukkot in the morning, he finished putting on tefillin. And he said to himself, you know, for the next nine days, <laughs> I don't need tefillin. Actually, for the next ten days, Erev Sukkot, he finished davening. Till Isra Chag, I don't need tefillin. Nine days of Yom Tov. Let me, he had good tefillin. I'll sell my tefillin and buy an esrig. Because the mitzvah, Shahzman Grama, the mitzvah of this time is Asr. Tefillin is already over. Chalamari didn't put on Tefillin. So he went and he sold his Tefillin and he got a tremendous amount of money. And he went and he bought the most beautiful Asr in the nearby town and he came home with Asimcha. It's gonna be Asukis on Asr. And he comes running to the house to tell his Tzadikis, his wife, about the Asr and she's not home. So he puts it right in the center of the kitchen so she should be able to see the Esrik when she comes home. And he goes to finish the sukkah, whatever he had to do before Yom Tov, gain the mikveh, finish the schach, go take care of other things, learn Hilcha sukkah, learn Mesech the sukkah, he comes home with Asim, he tells his wife, you won't believe it, I got the most beautiful Esrik. If I can't, because it was so expensive, nobody bought it, I got it. One of these 747 jumbo Massive, beautiful, you can't finish Allah with this aspect. That's how beautiful it is. So she says, wow, unbelievable, but how did you pay for it? Where did you get the money? He says, ah, after Shachris, Hashem put a thought into my mind. Sell the tefillah. I didn't think of it. She says, you sold it for now. After Sukkot, what are you going to do now? Tefillin, you need a whole year. Esrik, you need a few days. And Esrik, you can borrow from somebody. Even the first day, Matana Manas Lahagza, Tefillin, we're even going to borrow Tefillin every day from somebody. But Davani, what do you, I don't understand you. He says, you have a good Shaila. But that's a problem after Sukkot. In the meantime, now there's a mitzvah essay, Shazman Gromit Esrik. After Sukkot, I'll need Tefillin. I'll worry, Hashem will help me find Tefillin. But right now, the mitzvah of the moment is Esrik, Daladmin. She says, amazing, that's amazing, incredible. Wow, I'm not sure I would do it, but fine, we'll enjoy it. Let me see the Esrik. She says, I left it here for you to hear to see. I put it right here on the counter for you to see. She says, where? He says, right there. You didn't see the big Esrik. She becomes pale. She becomes pale. Red and pale and green and blue. What happened? She says, I'm so sorry, I don't know how to tell this to you. I was preparing food for Yom Tov, preparing a compote, preparing a salad. I needed a lemon. I turn around the counter, I see a big, nice lemon. I take the lemon, I cut it up, I uh, dice it, 
chop it up, I dice it, I squeeze out, I squeeze out the pulp, I squeeze the pulp, all the lemon juice comes out, for the salad, for the kapot, for the other dishes that need lemon. I'm so sorry, but this is, this was your esrik. Zechroin alivrocha, tehei nishmosoi, tzruda b'tzver hachayim. No. What does he do? He walks over to his wife. He looks her in his in the eyes. He looks her in the eyes and he tells her, "I love you." So she thought he lost his sanity. You know, in a good day, it's not easy for him to say. This, she said, "What?" He said, "I'm I'm so honored to have you as a wife, and I appreciate you, and I respect you, and I cherish you, and I thank Hashem for you." She says, I thought you'd punch me in the nose, you would break a couple of windows, you would run out of the house, you would holler, you would scream, you would throw the furniture. What's going on? So he said, in the morning when I woke up, the mitzvah of the moment was to put on a talus and tefillah. When I finished davening, the mitzvah of the moment became to buy a lul of an esrek. Now I don't have an esrek. The mitzvah of the moment is to give joy and love to my wife. That's the mitzvah of the moment. So that's what I'm doing. That's the end of the story. Now you want to know what he did first, feeling what he did first. That's in Christ. <laughs> he went to fast and stuff. But I want you to think about this for a moment. I want you to think. What would another person do for, for good reason? Lose it. And I'm not, again, we're not judging, we're just describing what we should understand. We're used to when we hear things, <clears throat> we, we hear things to judge ourselves, to judge other people. Judging doesn't help. You have to understand reality. That's the best judgment. We have to understand truth. Other person would lose himself. You took my asterisk and you destroyed it. My sukkus is gone. My sukkah is gone. What would that person not have? person wouldn't have an asterisk. Wouldn't have a sukkah. Wouldn't have shalom bayis either. This person, he didn't have an asterisk. But as a result of that, he had a wife. He had a good salad. <laughs> Maybe hard to eat. But he had one more thing. He had one more thing, and that's the nakuda. He had God. The first person, Hashem became the asterisk. And for good reason. Hashem said, you should have an asterisk. I'm not blaming. But Hashem became the asterisk. Hashem got a tzir. It's called the asterisk. What do you do with my asterisk? You turned it into lemon juice for my salad. I lost my asterisk and I lost my God. Because my God today looks like an asterisk. First taste. And he has reasons for it. Asterisk, asterisk, dalat minim. With mices from the Batichavah, the Noyam Alimelech, full of the Chazanish, and his Esrik is Givaldic. God became the Esrik. God equals Esrik. You took away my Esrik, you took away my God. I shouldn't be upset. I shouldn't want to kill you. 
Like Lovin says, Lama Ganafta Salakai, was taking gambit my God. My wife took my God and diced it. The problem is, as I'm upon him, what thine God does, not invite Kenneth to Schneiden of Stücke. What type of God is it if your wife could take your God and dice it into pieces? Love him, what type of God do you have if Rachel could take your God, put it in the, on the camel under her, and that's the end of your God? <laughs> this Jew was connected with Emmas. What says he was connected with Emmas? He understood that seer of Avodas Hashem is never the same. This morning it was Tefillin. An hour later it was an asterisk. And right now, what does Avodas Hashem look like? What does serving God look like? I don't have an asterisk now. Blame your wife, blame the world, blame Trump, blame Hillary, blame Obama. Fine. Lahavdil. Blame Kushner, not Lahavdil. <laughs> You could blame right now for whatever reason. My wife made a mistake. So what? Yiddishkeit is gone. Life is dead. Sukkot is over. Who is the Eberster? Where is God? Right now have a new mitzvah. The mitzvah is your wife made a mistake. She feels horrible. Lift up her spirits. You and your wife a mitzvah to give joy to your wife on Sukkot. Because he wasn't stuck in a tzir. He wasn't stuck. What avoidance Hashem, what serving God looks like. Sometimes it looks like an asterisk. And sometimes it looks like going into a pit, getting dirty, getting filthy, and helping a child out of that pit. I, in order to go into that pit, I have to forget about my davening and my tshuva. So if you're connected to yourself and your comfort zone, you can't. Because for you, this, this way is everything. But if you transcend yourself and you look for truth, this is a God-sent mission right now. Hashem doesn't have a picture of what He looks like. God doesn't have an image. There's no model. That's idol worship. We don't worship idols. We don't worship idols. This is the idol. Now the moment is to fast. And now the moment is go to the pit and watch the child who's in the pit. I for that, you may have to eat. So you'll eat. What you're calling Avodas Hashem may be nothing but a trap of your ego and a trap of your comfort zone that you're never allowed to leave because you're afraid to leave it. Because this is your only form of security. And it's not a judgment call on the person. It's a challenge that you should understand that truth never looks a certain way. It can change colors in an instant. You're never Mitsuyer. God is not molded in my image. I'm molded in His image. And it's completely different Mahalach. Avram Avinu lived his whole life. And what did God mean for Avram Avinu? God equaled love, kindness. His whole life. That's what Hashem meant for Avram Avinu. Seeing the Tzalem Elikim and another person. You see three Arab strangers, bring them into your house. Avram Oyhavi. Avram is the paradigm of chesed, of kindness, of love, of hospitality. 
And it's, that's his avoidance Hashem. That's where he found Hashem. Hashem found Hashem in moral responsibility towards humanity, towards civilization, to change the world and make it a beautiful place, first and foremost, by realizing the interconnectedness of all of humanity. What was his greatest test? His greatest test was, Kachnas binchas yichidchas rehaftas yitzchak, v'haleyu sham you fought your whole life against child sacrifice, against human sacrifice. Your whole life you fought against it. Against pagan, anarchy, and brutality. And what has Hashem tell Avram now? Go and slaughter your own son. I said, excuse me. Which God are you? Whose side are you on? I had a certain picture, I had a certain image. You know what had to happen that moment? It wasn't just tremendous Messiah of his child. It was re-evaluating his entire paradigm. When we say in Davening He had to say, I don't know what Hashem looks like. I don't know what truth looks like. But I'm open to it. To be able to reinvent your life, to reinvent yourself. What's the first words Hashem says after? He says, I don't want you to touch your son. I want you to have your son. I want you to love your son. Avram's paradigm was love. Ava. But that can also be a trap. Love, 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 love. I'm not talking about it. It's also a trap. Maybe your child doesn't need love right now. Maybe your child, your child needs love. But maybe your child needs love to be channeled in a certain way. No, I'm love. Sometimes that's the opposite. You have a father, mother, they don't know how to discipline. There's no boundaries. Because we're love. We're full of love. I love can also destroy people when there's no boundaries. Just like a child who doesn't get love and only gets discipline, feels like a boot camp and doesn't feel safe in the house. A child where everything is permitted and there's no boundaries and there's no no. You could call your father an idiot and your mother a mishugana. You can have a 12-year-old and then you call the mother an idiot and a tzadreta and a mishugana. Love, 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 love. Another computer, another cotton candy, another tzatzka, all in the name of love. Because you went to a seminar, you went to a workshop, and they said, today the kids need love. Not like you. You received hate. You received indifference. But today, love. So you become completely stuck in that place. Sometimes you need midasayira. Sometimes you need midasayira. There's a word... One of the simonim of Kashrus says, how do you know Behemoth's kosher? It has split hooves. Mafresa's parsa. You ever saw a sheep, yeah? A goat, yeah? You look at the feet and it's split all the way through and through. The, 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 le- the leg is literally split into two paths. You look at a horse, you look at any other animal that's not kosher, it doesn't have split hooves. It has a strong feet and it has its shoe and it's not split. So the Rebbe once said a vart, this vart. What's the simon of kashras? Sometimes you go in this direction, and sometimes you can go in the opposite direction. That's the simon of kashras.
The sign of Kashrus is, my foot doesn't always go in one direction. There's a split. Sometimes I go this, and sometimes exactly the opposite. Why? Because I'm not stuck to a certain seer. I'm never stuck there. I often am, but I have to know that I'm stuck. And have the ability to say, now we take a different turn completely. This is true about your marriage. It's true about your children. It's true about your work. It's true about yourself. They say two people fail in life. People who don't have a plan. And people who stick to their plan. Oh. You gotta have a plan. But you gotta learn how to take the plan. Throw it into the garbage can. Go like this. And if you don't believe me, ask Kodak. Kodak, Zechernel of Rocha. AOL, Nokia. Ask all these companies. What was their problem? They had plans. They didn't know now it's time to tear up the plan. Because this plan for this situation is not only going to be ineffective, it's going to destroy you. But no, this is how we do things in our family. Sorry, ah, your head is in the sand. Ah, your daughter is lo- getting lost every day. Your son is getting lost. This is how we do things. Oh, but thy kind is in a boy. Your child is in the abyss. But I'm not thinking about my child. If I would think about my child, I'd give good. All I'm thinking is about my comfort zone. But I can't call it comfort zone, so I have a good name. What's the name? God. <laughs> God sounds much better than comfort zone. You're not going to tell your wife or your therapist or your rabbi, I think about my comfort zone. We have a word for it. That's all I do. I think about God, nobody else. So the Pchanan Ibn Tzadim teaches you, I'm sure you're a good guy. And you think about God, but just ask yourself one question. If there's a little taruvis, a bissel, we're not saying a lot, maybe 10%, maybe 50%, maybe 80%, but it's a bissel taruvis, and it's not bottle b'shishim. Chemin ibn Tiradin didn't even want bittel b'shishim. But you, it's not bottle b'shishim. There's a little taruvis of other things. Maybe fear, maybe insecurity, maybe trauma. Again, don't see this as a judgment. The more you see this as a judgment, the more you'll become trapped by it. See this as an opening. Maybe this fear involved. Maybe this fear of what the neighbors are going to say. Maybe this fear of what my father is going to say. My shriga is going to say. Maybe this fear what I'm going to say to myself. Maybe this fear I won't be able to recognize myself. This way I recognize, I look in the mirror and I say, as I find a yid. <laughs> You want me to be a Myla Gale? You want me to be a Mafresa's Parsa? It's going to be a different show. I'm going to look in the mirror and this can find a yid. Oh, I'm afraid of that. Maybe my life was too unstable. Finally, I have a derech. You want me to challenge the derech? Zoisloy! But it's like you're going straight on the highway, you know, and sometimes you take your hands off the steering wheel and you're going straight and it's beautiful. There's only one problem. The highway turns. You know what happens when you go straight? You go into the ocean. So I go straight, sorry. But the highway turned, Tayyid. The highway turned. No, we go straight. 
We're not into crooked things. We don't do crooked things. He's right. You should go the right way. The only problem is, what's the right way at the moment? What's the mitzvah of the moment? The moment you got to turn. How can a person do this? The second simon of kashras. My legata. What's my legata? A kosher animal has four stomachs. You eat something. You know what happens? You bring it back up. I don't want to develop an appetite so early in the morning. You bring it back up. You chew it again, you swallow it, you bring it back up, you chew it again, four times. It's called regurgitate. You regurgitate the food. That's my legata. What's in avoida? What's, what's my legata? You have the ability to bring everything back and look at it again. You don't just say, this is what we digested. This is what we eat. Bring it up. Kayasib ben in learning, you say, "Let's go it through again." Let's let's. What's the expression? Let's Re- reiterate. Not reiterate. Chew it. Uh, chew it. Uh, chew it over. Chew it over. Don't be afraid to chew it over. Don't accept things on face value. This is it. Ask what God wants. What Hashem wants at the moment. Maybe the mitzvah of the moment is not answering. Maybe the mitzvah of the moment is to tell your wife that you're here for her. Doesn't look so holy like Essig. Essig is much holier. It's nice. It's nobody could be mistaken that it's romance. It's pure avoidance Hashem who takes citruses and starts shaking willows. It looks holier. But what looks holier doesn't mean it is holier. Sometimes fasting looks holier, but much holier is to get into a pit and get yourself dirty is much holier. You have to know what the calling of the moment is. When Rabbi Yosef and Kisma heard that Rabbi Hanina ben Shadyan didn't live in the comfort zone, he says, Cain, if this is the case, Michalka chayyehe chalki, Megarol chayyehe garol. Your Rebbe called you a Mylagate, why? For other reasons. But the pnimius of what your ever meant was that you have the courage to ibakayat. So even though you always thought it was an insult, that we always saw you eating. You never always saw you eating, right? Chewing gum. Chewing gum. They used to call kids who chew gum, they used to call a mylagate. This was the way of building confidence. Stamilagate, in other words, that was the best behavior we knew. Now let's show the simonim of a But now we can heal. What he really meant was, it was a shlichus milmaila. But you don't have to remain stuck in anything. Ibekaya. Ibekaya. Mafresis parsim, mylagate. Tafasta? This is the simon of kashros. The simon of kashros is you have split hooves. You don't always go in one direction. There's this and this because you're mylagate. You gotta think out of the box. And then when thinking out of the box becomes the box, you gotta think out of that box. Kilu hu yotzim emitzrayim. The Balatanya says in Tanya, b'chol yoyim v'yoyim. 
Yesterday's Gaula is today's Golos. Always. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.